We have been working through uh, Genesis together, and uh, last week, if you remember what we saw, was uh, God's intention to fulfill this great rescue and this great mission of of rescue and restoration Um, as uh, God looked down upon the earth and saw all that was was going on there. Uh, Part of that involved his his judgment, but also we saw this this commitment to God and his promises to fulfill and bring this promised one, the offspring that would come and redeem and restore all things. So we're continuing along in our, uh, our study of Genesis and um, seeing, all right, what, what is it about the world? What was the, the, the need uh, for rescue? What is the, the, the instrument by which God rescues and what will be the, how far reaching will be that, that rescue? And so if you would, let's turn to, to chapter 6 of Genesis. Um, we're going to be, uh, it's a, a big chunk of, uh, of Scripture to, to read this morning. Um, but we'll be going from, uh, from Genesis chapter, or Genesis 6, verse 9 through 7, verse 24, um, as we continue to our study of the Word of God. So follow along with me as I, I'll read from Genesis chapter 6. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. And Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt. For all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and out with pitch. This is how you are to make it. The length of the ark, 300 cubits. Its breadth, 50 cubits. Its height, 30 cubits. Make a roof for the ark. And finish it to a cubit above and set the, the door of the ark in its side. Make it with lower, second, and third decks. For behold, I will bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh in which is the breath of life under heaven. Everything that is on the earth shall die, but I will establish my covenant with you. And you shall come into the ark, you and your sons, your wife and your sons' wives with you. And of every living thing of all flesh, you shall bring two of every sort into the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female. Of the birds according to their kinds, of the animals according to their kinds, and of every creeping thing on the ground according to its kind, two of every sort shall come into you to keep them alive. Also take with you every sort of food that is eaten and store it up. It shall serve as food for you and for them. Noah did this. He did all that God commanded him. Then Yahweh said to Noah, Go into the ark. You and all your household, for I have seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. Take with you seven pairs of all clean animals, the male and its mate, and the pair of the animals that are not clean, the male and its mate, and seven pairs of the birds of the heavens also, male and female, to keep their offspring alive on the face of all the earth. 
For in seven days I will send rain on the earth, forty days and forty nights, and every living thing that I have made I will blot out from the face of the ground. And Noah did all that Yahweh had commanded him. Noah was six hundred years old when the flood of waters came upon the earth. And Noah and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives went with him in the ark to escape the waters of the flood. Of clean animals and of animals that are not clean and of birds and everything that creeps on the ground, two and two, male and female, went into the ark with Noah as God had commanded Noah. And after seven days, the waters of the flood came upon the earth. In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, on the 17th day of the month, on that day, all the fountains of the great deep burst forth and the windows of the heavens were open and the rain fell upon the earth 40 days and 40 nights. On the very same day, Noah and his sons, Shem and Ham and Japheth, and Noah's wife and the three wives of his sons with them entered the ark. They and every beast according to its kind, and all the livestock according to their kinds, and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth according to its kind, and every bird according to its kind, every winged creature. They went into the ark with Noah, two and two of all flesh, in which there was the breath of life. And those that entered, male and female of all flesh, went in as God had commanded him. And, and Yahweh shut him in. The flood continued forty days on the earth. The waters increased and bore up the ark, and it rose high above the earth. The waters prevailed and increased greatly on the earth, and the ark floated on the face of the waters. And the waters prevailed so mightily on the earth that all the high mountains under the whole heaven were covered. The waters prevailed above the mountains, covering them fifteen cubits deep. And all flesh died that moved on the earth. Birds, livestock, beasts, all swarming creatures that swarm on the earth, and all mankind. Everything on the dry land, and whose nostril was the breath of life, died. He blotted out every living thing that was on the face of the ground, man and animals and creeping things, and birds of the heavens. They were blotted out from the earth. Only Noah was left, and those who were with him in the ark. And the waters prevailed on the earth 150 days. Let's pray. Father, this is a story many of us may be uh, familiar with, whether it's from kids' nursery pictures or coloring books. Um, uh, what is it that you have for us in this passage? What are you teaching your people about our need for you, about your work in the world, your holiness, your mission to rescue. Teach us this morning, we pray. We, we need you. Holy Spirit, apply your word to our hearts for the glory of Christ. Amen. Back in... Um, uh, oh, so the three things we want to look at in this passage this morning. The, the need of rescue, the instruments of rescue... And the reach of rescue. And so, kids, for you, one way to maybe we can track and following through this morning. So we're going to do some hand motions. All right? So pay attention. So every time you hear me say need of rescue or need or need of rescue, hold your hands out like this. Need. Instrument of rescue. And reach of rescue. All right? So need, instrument, reach. Uh, let's see some, 
some motions during the sermon this morning. The, everybody else can participate too if you want. But uh, So back in uh, 2012, uh, Kelly Lynn Groves was with her 10-year-old daughter, Sage, and her 10-week-old daughter, Milo, uh, in uh, a car, a BMW traveling north in um, uh, California on Highway 101. A uh, truck driver who was high on methamphetamine, wasn't paying attention, sideswiped her car, crushed it into the, the barrier on this highway, continued forward, drove actually over the car, busted through the, the railing over a, a bridge, uh, where a bridge was. The truck fell down 100 feet uh, to the, the ravine below and exploded. Uh, this car uh, that Kelly and her and Sage and Milo were in was twisted and mangled. The passenger door was now underneath uh, the um, in the back. Uh, it it wasn't even it didn't even resemble a vehicle anymore, and it was hanging just on the edge of the the bridge. Um, all, it, it, some of the way people described it is they thought even a wind that would blow by would blow this car off and plummet to the, the ravine below. Um, the, the explosion and fire from the truck, you could hear the tires um, exploding. Um, the, the heat was rising up. There's a tow truck driver who saw the wreck happen. He, uh, he said the only reason he knew it was a BMW uh, was because he saw it before the wreck occurred. Afterwards, it was completely unrecognizable. Um, he thought for sure everyone in there was dead, but he heard Kelly calling out. She was in need of rescue. Uh, the, they were able to call the, uh, the fire department. There was a group of them who were only minutes away who were at a, um, uh, a training seminar to train for rescues in, in situations just like this. They quickly came hearing the call of this need for someone to be rescued. Um, and uh, they, they show up. They, the first thing that they try to do is they get the, the, the hook from this tow truck to, to keep the car from falling over the edge. They're, they're trying to use um, uh, the jaws of life to open up. But what ends up happening is that every time they put any sort of pressure on the car, they're not sure if it's going to give way and fall over into the ravine. Um, uh, Kelly is... is is completely terrified at this point as she is in this mangled piece of destruction. Um, she doesn't know if her, she can hear her baby daughter crying. She cannot hear anything but uh, coming from Sage. She doesn't know if she's alive. She can reach back and feel her, um, and all she feels is, is some blood on her head. Um, she is desperately afraid for her children, and she's calling out for someone to rescue and help them. The jaws of life come. They begin to cut open. And at some point, um, it gets too dangerous. And they have to stop. She is in desperate need of rescue. Um, what is going to happen to Kelly, to Sage, to Milo? Will they be rescued? Will they be saved? Uh, those same questions are here for us. Don't worry, I'll pick it back up. These same questions are here for 
us in this passage. We see this great need of rescue that is uh, is before us um, as we look through chapter chapter six. Um, that's one thing that Moses is intent here on communicating to us the need for this rescue to occur. Look in, in verse eleven as God looks down and sees. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight. The earth was filled with violence. In verse 12, God saw the earth and behold, it was corrupt for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. Uh, Down in verse 13, it continues this uh, description of this great of the need that is there for a rescue to occur. I have determined to make an end of all flesh for the earth is filled with violence through them. And then, uh, as we, as God looks down and He sees, we're, God's looking down on His creation. Remember as we think back to Genesis 1 and what God has entrusted and called man to do. We even uh, saw it in uh, our, our affirmation of our faith this morning. God created man in righteousness and holiness to care for uh, his, his creatures to care for and steward His creation, to, to live in a way that brought flourishing to God's world as they lived in relationship with God, with one another, and with creation. But what do we see here? What do we see in this passage? God's creation is completely corrupted and mangled and distorted. Instead of filling the earth with God's glory, instead of filling the earth with more worshipers of God who walk with Him, who care for His creation. Look what man has done. We filled it with violence. We filled it with corruption. God's creation is almost it's like that BMW. It's almost as if it's not unrecognizable anymore. So far removed from God's intention and His purposes. In fact, as we see the consequences for this sin, remember we saw that last week. One of the things that, uh, uh, that sin deserves is God's just judgment of sin. And we see the consequences played out here um, in verses uh, 17 to 24 of chapter 7. Listen to this account of the consequences of the sin that man created in this judgment that God is bringing on them. And think back of the description of God creating in Genesis 1. And listen to the parallels. The flood continued 40 days on the earth. The waters increased and bore the ark, and it rose high above the earth. The waters prevailed and increased greatly on the earth. The ark floated on the face of the waters. And the waters prevailed so mightily under the earth that the high mountains were under the whole, under the whole heaven were covered. The waters prevailed above the mountains, covering them 15 cubits deep. All flesh died that moved on the earth. Birds, livestock, beasts, swarming creatures that swarm on the earth, and all mankind. Everything on the dry land in whose nostrils was the breath of life died. He blotted out every living thing that was on the face of the ground. Man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens. They were blotted out from the earth. What we're reading here is a complete undoing 
of God's good work in creation. Destruction. Corrupting. It's as if what man is, is seeking to do is, uh, in leading up to this, is we were intent on doing whatever we could to thwart and disrupt God's good purposes and intentions. Remember before, when God created, He looked down, and every time He created, He says, it's good, it's good. God looked down and saw, it was very good. And in the beginning of this passage, what do we see? God looks down, and He sees corruption and violence. Why? Why is there corruption and violence? The reason why, it tells us in verse 12, The reason this is occurring, the reason the violence is there, the corruption is there, the reason that this judgment is coming is for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. The world, the situation, God's creation, all that's going on, this passage describes and tells us everything is in great need of rescue. Notice over and over again, violence, corruption, corruption, violence all over the earth, over and over and over again. Moses is wanting to remind us again of the great need that is here of God to come in and work out his rescue. How is he going to do it? What are God's instruments of rescue in this passage? It's important for us to know and uh, and understand, because uh, although I mean we can know a little bit of the end of the story, we're still around. God did do something. We'll read about that as we move forward. But uh, do you notice some of the same trends in our world? Maybe even in your own heart and your own tendencies and my tendencies to put off God's good purposes for us. That many times we can see our, uh, our desires gone, going unchecked can lead to corruption, can lead to violence. Instead of leading to flourishing, we can tear down and break apart. We don't have to look to those people out there to realize this. We can look deep inside our own hearts and realize, I am a part of the problem. They don't need rescue. They do, but not they, just them don't need rescue. I need it. You need it. This need of rescue, Moses is painting a clear picture for us. But what are the instruments by which God redeems and restores? Uh, notice how this passage begins in verse uh, in verse 9. Uh, these are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. Over and over in this passage, this, there's this emphasis and this focus on Noah and on his righteousness. On his obedience. Notice how often that comes up as we go through this passage. Uh, In verses uh, 14 to 21. One of the, the, the instruments by which God is going to bring about his redemption is using 
Noah and his righteousness, his obedience. Notice through this passage, God gives all these instructions to Noah specifically. I'm going to redeem through this ark. But Noah, you need to build it. And this is how you're going to build it. And God gives these detailed instructions for what it is that Noah will do. And notice in verse 22 how it ends up. Noah did this. He did all that God commanded him. Uh, in verse, uh, beginning of verse, uh, or chapter 7, as it goes on, as it's telling about uh, what's going, what, what Yahweh is doing. Then Yahweh said to Noah, go into the ark, you and all your household, for I have seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. Take with you seven pairs of clean animals, the animal and its mate. And it goes on to describe the bringing in of the the animals. And the Lord's telling about what is getting ready to happen. And in verse 5, it tells us again, And Noah did all that Yahweh had commanded him. In verse 9, it comes up again as God is instructing Noah. Uh, Two and two, male and female, went into the ark with Noah as God commanded Noah. Again, in verse 16, as we skip on down, And all... And those that entered, male and female, of all flesh, went uh, went in as God had commanded him. There's a big focus here on Noah, on his righteousness and his obedience. Um, Now, we might think and begin to ask the question, why was Noah saved? And his family. It must have been because Noah was righteous. That's what it tells us, right? Uh, Noah was righteous. He was blameless in his generation. In verse 7 it says, Go into the ark, you and all your household, for I have seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. Um, In fact, we could say, hey, uh, um, uh, it, it could look here as if The reason Noah was saved and everybody else was destroyed is because Noah was a good guy. God looked down. Noah had pleased God. God had merited or Noah had merited God delivering and saving him. What everybody else earned was destruction and being uh, being wiped out. Um, But we need to remember the context of this passage and what we saw at the end of last week. Look back in verse 8, and it's significant that this comes before this chapter, or this passage. Remember, it's describing all that's going on in the world, that the thoughts of, in verse 5, it tells us that the, uh, the wickedness of man was great and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. In verse 8, it says, though, But Noah found favor in the eyes of Yahweh. As God looks down on this this corrupt world, the thoughts of everyone's intentions was evil, violence, and corruption. But in the midst of that, Noah finds favor in God's sight. We talked a little last week of seeing that idea of finding favor is unexpected and undeserved favor that comes of someone greater to someone who is... Uh, who is lesser, usually in talking about it it, with being a king. It's completely unexpected and undeserved. God looks here upon Noah, and in light of the favor that Noah finds, this undeserved favor Noah finds in 
uh, in the eyes of God, it plays itself out in Noah's life, demonstrating itself through Noah's righteousness, his blamelessness, his walking with God. But the need for Noah to obey was important. If Noah had said, you know what? God's a gracious God. It doesn't matter what I do. He's going to save us. He's given us these promises. I'm going to just sit back here and watch him work. Would the ark have gotten built? No. No. It was necessary for Noah to obey. It was necessary for Noah to build the ark. Something that we'll we'll look at as we go through the book of Genesis is we'll realize that um, God's covenant promises to his people are are unconditional. But there's also conditions. Some people describe it as the conditionality of the unconditional covenant. Let me explain maybe how it might work. Um, So each... uh, Three times a day, we prepare meals for our children. Uh, We make breakfast, we make lunch, we make dinner. We place it on the table for them to eat. Uh, um, And and beside the the meal, there is usually some sort of utensil, some sort of instrument for eating, a fork perhaps. Uh, Now, what would you think as we provide and cook this meal and lay it before our children? And they... Adelaide or Beckett pick up this fork and they start eating. And they're like, look how awesome I am. This meal is great, but you know why it's great? It's because I'm such a good instrument user. I'm so good at picking up my fork and putting it down in the food and picking it up and putting it in my mouth. And that's why it tastes so good. In fact, the reason why this meal was given to me is because I'm such a good instrument user. I'm such a good fork user. Would that make sense? No. In order for them to eat, do they need to use the fork? Yes. But the reason they were given the meal, their fork using merited them nothing. The reason we gave them the meal is not, it had nothing to do with how good of a fork user, an instrument user they were. We gave it to them solely out of our good love and our pleasure and our care to our children. It was a, a demonstration of our, of our grace. It's the same thing here with God. The covenant promises that He gives us are unconditional with regards to merit, as it respects, with respect to merit. God does not give look upon us and say, hey, um, uh, as he looked upon Noah, you know what? Noah is a good guy. He has merited, he has merited and earned through his righteousness and his, uh, and his blamelessness and his obedience for me to save. That is not what we see here. God's purposes of redemption and the promises that he gives Uh, as far as his covenant goes, is completely unconditional with with respect to merit. Noah merits nothing here. We just saw it beforehand. Every inclination of his heart and his mind, just like everybody else's, was evil and wickedness. But he found favor in God's sight. 
But there is conditionality in the covenant as it relates to instrumentality. The instrument by which we enjoy God's provisions of the covenant is necessary. How are we saved? By grace? Through what? Faith. The instrument by which we experience the unconditional, unearned favor of God is through faith. Is that conditional or unconditional? Unconditional. But what if you don't have faith? Can you be saved? No. Without faith, you will not be saved. We saw that in Hebrews. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Faith is a condition. It's not a meritorious condition. It's not a work. Don't look at your faith and say, wow. Pick up like your fork. What a good instrument user I am. God has saved me because I have such great faith. And I have more faith than these other people. And how I've obeyed God. No, that's not what we see here. The emphasis of this whole passage is on Noah's obedience, his righteousness. Yes. But what is it? It's an expression of his faith and trust in God who has given him this favor and this grace. What we see working out here is God working his promises out in the lives of Noah. Noah has given him undeserved favor. Noah is responding in faith, evidencing itself in his obedience. Noah obeyed God. It's a demonstration of his trust. Why build this ark if I don't trust this God who has given me this good promises? Why in the world am I going to shut myself up with all of my in-laws and all of these animals for who knows how long? Why am I going to risk ridicule in front of all these people for building this ark when they're rejecting God if Noah is not hoping and trusting in these promises? For us, the same thing is true. Obedience is important in the Christian life. It's necessary. It evidences our faith. If we aren't pursuing and demonstrating a life of righteousness, then we need to ask the question, is faith there? If Noah decided not to build the ark, we would need to ask ourselves the question, is he trusting in God? Righteousness is not just a declaration of something that is true of you, but righteousness in Scripture is is a part of how we live our lives. And if God has declared you righteous in Christ, is it not an appropriate response to live out that righteousness evidenced before the world? The instrument by which God saves and brings to us and to Noah is by faith. Evidence itself in obedience. Noah's obedience merited him nothing. But obeying God is a a response of our faith as we're trusting and walking in him. What about us? Has this changed? No. We still see this played out in in the New Testament. Obedience in the Christian life, as you are walking with God, it is important for us to obey and walk with our God. To earn anything from Him? Is He going to be impressed by the things you do and I do? Is He impressed that you're here this morning? That you brought your Bible or you read it? 
or how often you pray, how much you gave in the plate this morning? No. Are those things important? How you love your wife or your kids, how you care for your your neighbors, how you live out and obey God's good law. Yes, it's important because remember, who are we? We are those who are to represent and reflect God's good character in the world, his redeemed ones. But our obedience is important. Our obedience demonstrates our faith and our trust of this good God who has given us good rules and good laws for our benefit, for our blessing, and for the benefit and blessing of the entire world. The instruments by which, the means or instrument by which God redeems and saves are, they're conditional but not with respect to our merit. It is completely unconditional, totally in God's grace. But it's important that we respond, just as we see here with Noah responding, in obedience, in righteousness, in faith. But what about the the reach of this rescue? There's a lot going on here. We've seen the need of the rescue. We've seen the instrument by which God is going to rescue is through Noah's faith and his obedience as he's trusting and hoping in, in God. But what about the, the reach? Sometimes we can uh, think about the, the Christian life and redemption and salvation being in a human-centric way. It's all about the the salvation of the souls of humans. We are what is most important. And the whole reason God is seeking to redeem all things is because of us. Well, did you notice in this passage as we read it over and over again how far-reaching God's rescue is here? Notice in verses 18 to 21, Noah says he's gonna, or God says he's going to establish this covenant with Noah and his sons and his wives. But he also says, every living thing of all flesh, two of every sort shall enter the ark. And he, this same phrase comes up so many times over and over again. Sometimes you're like, come on, Moses, we got it the first time. Why do you have to keep repeating it? How many times did we hear this? The birds according to their kinds, the animals according to their kind, of every creeping thing on the ground according to its kind. Two or two shall come in for you to keep them alive. Over and over and over again, this is mentioned. It wasn't just Noah in the ark. It wasn't just humans in the ark. God's reach of redemption. Will he say, is he saving Noah? Is he saving Noah's kids and their wives? Yes, continuing to fill out his promises. But God is not just intent on saving and his, uh, the reach of his rescue is not just to reach and rescue humans. Back to Kelly and her family hanging on the, the edge of this, this bridge. Um, they, they were trying to, uh, to save her, but um, they were un, since she was hanging over to the edge of this cliff, they weren't able to reach around to the other side to support and hold it up. The, the BMW was about to plummet, her and her daughters going in there. But there happened to be this group of Navy 
construction guys, Seabees, they're called. And they were on a, a convoy moving um, down the, the opposite side of the highway on the, the, the bridge that was just parallel to this one. And they happened to have on their truck this giant forklift that could uh, hold 11,000 pounds and could extend and reach its boom out more than 10 feet. And so what these guys did is they drove this, this forklift on the other side of the bridge and they reached out this forklift and placed it under the bottom part of the BMW and held it up so that the, the firemen could step out and um, use the jaws of life to cut open this BMW. They were able to remove Sage. She survived with only a broken pelvis. They were able to remove 10-week-old Milo, who had fallen asleep in the back seat and only had a scratch on her head. And they were able to cut out and remove Kelly, who also suffered a broken pelvis, but she was alive. The forklift and the reach that it provided, this reach of redemption, was able to reach out so that nothing was lost. What do we see about the redeeming character of God Will he lose anything? We've looked down and seen the need. Part of what God is seeking to do is not just save humans, but one way we could look at this passage is what God is trying to do is save his creation from humanity. Why is the reason it's corrupted and destroyed? Because of us. But God in his mercy, his intentions and his care for everything that he has created, he has said... I am going to reach out and my rescue plan will affect everything that sin has destroyed. Let me phrase it another way. He will reach out and redeem and rescue and restore all things that we have destroyed through our sin. God is not just concerned about saving us. We are not the center of his story. It's all about God's glory and His praise, and His purposes. He created us to live in this world and to live out our created uh, purposes here to glorify Him. And God says, your sin will not disrupt my purposes. In fact, I'm going to reach in and I'm going to redeem and restore all things. This picture of what's happening with this destruction and this flood with Noah is a picture for us of what is going to happen in the final judgment. We'll see next week, this, this water does not completely annihilate and destroy all things. It purifies and washes. The same thing will be true of God's final redemption and judgment. As He redeems and He restores all things, this time, Scripture tells us, it'll be through fire. But what will be redeemed and rescued and restored? It'll be humans, yes. As we look to God in faith, But part of what we see here is God's heart for all of His creation, His redeeming and rescuing power, and that nothing is outside of His reach of rescue and redemption. Romans tells us creation groans, longing for the redemption and the restoration of the sons of God. God is going to do this work. His glory will be displayed as we who have trusted and looked to Christ as He brings about this promised offspring who will be the one who actually works out this great plan of redemption. 
who reaches down and enters into our world and redeems and saves not only us, but who is at work reconciling all things to himself. That is the hope we have. And we will live eternally who have trusted in Christ on this earth, renewed and restored. The hope for believers is not to escape this world. It is wrong if we say this world is not our home. If you're thinking of heaven in that way, it's, it's not uh, shaped by the teaching of Scripture. This earth is your home. This is where God intended you to live out your purposes of glorifying and, and enjoying Him. Uh, and one day, heaven, the place where God dwells, will be united with earth again, and we will dwell here with Him forever in His renewed and restored creation. There is a great need for rescue. The instrument through which God will bring about that rescue will be, obviously, the, the way He's going to save is through His Son, but the way that w- the instrumentality through which it happens is through us looking to Jesus in faith lived out in our obedience of faith and trusting and looking to Him and clinging to His promises. And the reach of God's redemption will be throughout the entire cosmos. Everything that has created, not just humanity, but every creature and animal and created thing will experience the goodness of God's restoring, rescuing work. What good news! What good news! Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your mercy and your grace to us. Forgive us for our... um, I mean, I do this all the time. I make everything about me. Uh, I can make everything about me as I think about the reason I'm saved is because of my good faith and my works. And I think I can please you. But I realize, no, it's actually your grace extended to me. And you've, it's by your grace, you've given us these instruments by which to lay claim to your promises. And it's actually you working it out in my heart. To think about this world and what you have created and what you will, res, you will redeem and rescue. I can think that it's just about me and my salvation or other people. But no, you have bigger, more expansive purposes of what you will redeem and restore. Move us to worship. May we praise you as this rescuing, redeeming God who will not let us ruin your creation, but who in fact will reach out and rescue and restore us. We praise you and thank you in Christ's name. Amen.